to a brand new series of the least popular podcast in the history of podcasts. It's Having a Natter with me, Simon Robinson, uh, David Silito. Hello. And Imogen Templeman. Hello, listeners. Listener. Well, yeah, let's not make any assumptions. Yeah, let's, let's not pretend it's all. Well, and, and also let's express a bit of remorse. Um, so poor listener. Poor listener. Per per sad listener. Um, so uh, yes, thanks for joining us, Matt. We hope you had a, a a nice summer, listener, and um, that you've missed this 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 um, this podcast. Uh, I doubt you have, but um, we're, we are. As I said to you before, people ask why we do it. The answer is we don't know, but we're gonna we're gonna carry on doing it until the police force officer doing it. So um, in this week's edition, the first episode of um, series 12D is a case of David Seacom versus Reed in Partnership Limited. Ooh. Interesting summary of the case, although the uh, listener will obviously be the judge of that. Um, so, yeah, this was a case brought by Mr. Seacom or Seacom um, against Reed in Partnership Limited. Uh, Mr. Seckham had been supply, uh, employed as a supply chain uh, manager. This, uh, I should say, this is a case about um, whether or not uh, the claimant was disabled and, and also whether or not the employer um, had knowledge of disability. Uh, and obviously, um, you can have one without the other. Uh, generally speaking, uh, an employer isn't going to be liable for disability discrimination um, unless it knew uh, that the claimant was uh, disabled. Um, I say generally speaking because they must either know or really should have known um, that the person was was disabled. So, um, Mr. Second filled in an equal opportunities monitoring form at the time he started. Uh, he said that he didn't have any health related issues or impairment um, that the company might need to consider making adjustments um, for. He worked for a little while during his probationary. Um, his probationary was then extended. Um, when it was extended, he didn't suggest that any of the um, problems that um, had given rise to the decision to extend his probation arose from any sort of uh, mental health condition. Um, later on, he was uh, asserting before the tribunal that he had anxiety and depression, but he didn't mention that as being a reason at the time. What he did do was uh, complain that he was disgusted to have been treated in that way. Uh, in particular, having his probationary period extended. Um, I don't know what you guys think about uh, somebody who has a bad reaction uh, to their probationary period being extended and whether or not that might be a sign for the employer that the writing is very much on the wall here. Um, I don't have an opinion. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what was he disgusted about? Just it was extended? Uh, yes, he felt like that was disgusting treatment on the part of his his employer. All right, well, I'm trying uh, to have I'll, less opinions on this podcast. All right, well, I'll t I'll tell you the opinion that I'm going to um, attribute to you then, um, <laughs> which is which is that um, if an employee during his probationary period um, yeah. is showing such a poor attitude, then really, what's the point in extending his probationary period, in particular, where 
he perhaps says um, that he's disgusted at that treatment. And that's what I've heard I you say in the past that, that probationary periods, if people are showing bad attitudes during their probationary period, they probably aren't going to improve if you extend it. Crikey. I did not know I thought that. Dave, what does Imogen <laughs> think about it? <laughs> Sorry? What does Imogen think? Does she agree or does she have a different view? She very, yeah, she agrees. Um, and she she adds to it that... Um, oh, she goes yeah. further? Wow. Yeah, yeah, she adds, she adds to it that uh, it is possible, of course, that the employer didn't explain its reasoning um, properly, and that's why he was so so disgusted. Yeah, I, I, well, I, I can understand Imogen's point there. I think I think she's expressed that really well via the medium of you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, next uh, little advert for next time, we'll be doing ventriloquism with uh, Robinson Ralph, and I'll just be speaking on behalf of everybody. Um, <coughs> so anyway, probationary period was extended. Um, the uh, employee, the claimant, then suffered what was described in the judgment mysteriously as an extremely traumatic um, event that led to police investigation and an absence from, um, from work. And, and as a result of that, he had a period of um, ill health um, absence. Um, he did say at that stage that if I don't explain um, what it is to someone close to me within the workplace, I will have a breakdown. Um, and his management offered uh, support. It was clear to them that he was extremely upset um, at this. Uh, they offered to cover uh, some of his calls whilst he was he was off. Um, he was signed off for a few weeks. Uh, again, he reported that he was unable to talk to, to people without crumbling. He was bordering on an effing breakdown, worried about work. Um, when he returned to work, uh, there was... Um, uh, a return to work form uh, completed. Uh, and um, again, he never suggested uh, that he was suffering from any sort of underlying health um, condition. Um, there was a performance review meeting. Again, there was a form that he needed to fill in for that. And he suggested, he didn't suggest in that, that any of the performance issues were, um, were caused by his uh, supposed anxiety and depression. Uh, when he was dismissed for performance um, issues. Uh, he said, um, well, he, he reacted very badly, apparently aggressively um, in the meeting. But again, he didn't mention at any stage that he was suffering from any mental impairment which gave rise to a, to a disability. Um, so the tribunal, his judgment was that one, he wasn't disabled, um, and two, that even if he was disabled, then there was no reason for the employer to, to know. Um, so they didn't know, and it wasn't the case that they should have known from all the circumstances. Now, um, you know, I think reading the judgment, that seems to me to have been the right decision. But there are a couple of points, I think, just to sort of clarify from, from that. Well, he wasn't disabled, but at the time, you um, recall, he was off. He was off following a traumatic episode. You know, he was su clearly suffering um, mentally uh, at the time. He was talking about whether or not he might have a breakdown um, to his, his employer. But it's this issue of whether or not there was an underlying health condition or whether or not, in the wording of um, some of the prior case law, this was simply an adverse reaction to life events. And an adverse reaction to life events without an underlying health condition won't give rise to a, a disability. Um, not least because it will be unlikely that um, the 
uh, impairment to the extent that there is one that's caused by the adverse life event will be long term or likely will be likely to be uh, long term, long term being 12 months or more or likely to last for 12 months um, or, or more. In terms of knowledge, um, well, it was a bit of a moot point in terms of the tribunal's uh, judgment uh, at that stage because, of course, they found that he wasn't disabled and they're really just covering um, covering off all, all the all, all the arguments. Um, really, I think this is a case that demonstrates the value and importance of employers having uh, records, contemporaneous records, um, in place because you know there were conversations that were had about you know mental health issues, but there were also there was also documentation from the start of employment, from um, performance reviews towards the end of employment, where the claimant had had an opportunity to say, look, yeah, I've got a health condition here. It's impacting on things. This is what you need to do to support me. And he hadn't. And I, I think the claimant there was, was pretty much um, uh, you know, sort of hamstrung by his own conduct at the, at the time of the events giving rise to, to the claim. And, and what was my opinion on this judgment as a whole, Dave? Um, well, you would very much uh, like to commend Judge Roper, um, sitting in Bodmin Employment Tribunal, um, right. on his uh, initial judgment, um, and, and also the Employment Appeal Tribunal, his Honour Judge James Taylor, um, sitting alone on um, his excellent uh, diagnosis of the issues in the case and um, explanation of the law. Oh, that's very nice of you. Yeah, it was a Bod it was Bodmin Tribunal. Now, um, I presume that that is a, an office that, um, out of Exeter Employment Tribunal, I presume. But it's not a, it's not an employment tribunal office either. No, I've not, not been to Bodmin. How far is or Bodmin? A place. Yeah. I don't. I, I'm not even sure where Bodmin is. I assume it's near Exeter, but. Why Imagine do I know Bodmin? Bodmin? Is there a moor? Is it Bodmin? There's a moor. That's why. That's why I heard of Bodmin. It's in Cornwall. Bodmin. Yeah, yeah. Maybe is it Truro then? It's near, is it? Um. Well, I mean, rel relatively, I suppose, but I can't see. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's not far from Truro. It's about it's about that far from Truro. Um, oh, on the map, but, according to the scale at the moment. Yeah, yeah, on the scale that I've got at the moment. Obviously, if I zoom out then it becomes yeah. it gets closer i think we get i think we get the idea with half an inch anyway it's, it's, yeah, it's yeah, probably yeah. closer isn't it? and what, what was imogen's overall conclusion on the case uh well she was mainly focusing on bodmin and how she'd very much like to go there because i know she's into walking and they've yes. got a lovely a lovely moor around the area oh it's very close to lost with actually so i imagine there's quite a lot of surfing are you into surfing as well as as walking imogen no can't say that i am okay all right I, I, I like scuba diving, and that helps. Yeah, you yeah. could do that. When was the last time you did scuba diving? Well, that's an excellent question, Dave. Uh, I did it. When did we last go? Two years ago in Thailand. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I, the last time I did it was in Croatia, um, and I, I couldn't submerge, if that's the right word, properly because I was getting too much pain in my ears. Yeah. Um, and it was really choppy. So the guy running the dive said, no, you get back on the boat. And then I was seasick and I've never done it again. 
So because it was such an unsuccessful trip that it really took all the enjoyment out of it. It was I did it in Thailand. It was much more enjoyable there. I wasn't I wasn't sick once. No, and, the, and it's nice warm water in Thailand as well, isn't it? It's yeah. very um, it's very pleasant. Yeah. Um, Imogen, and by Imogen I mean Dave. Dave, can you tell me what Imogen's final thoughts are, please? Um. Well, uh, I, I think probably she'd just like to congratulate me on an excellent summary of the case. <laughs> right. That makes sense. Okay. Thanks, Dave. That was really, really helpful. Imogen, thank you for all your insights. Those were really, <laughs> really good. And I hope you get to go scuba diving in Bodmin Moor as you as you desperately want to. Are you going to um, thank so me you... for your insights as well, or are you going to thank yourself? Or... Uh, yeah, I'd like to thank me for my great insights. Um, <laughs> I think I really added value there, um, courtesy of Dave. Um, and, you know, you know, dear listener, I hope you you didn't hate it. I'm not going to say enjoy it, but I hope you didn't hate it. Um, and look forward to speaking to you, not speaking to you, speaking at you. That's not the right thing. To at, uh, yeah, either, work, either works, doesn't it, I think. Yeah, the next session. So see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.